Thanks for being a part of another episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's yours truly, Sam Roberts. Don't be a passive listener. Be an active listener. I'm an active host. You be an active listener. It's easy to do. First, do me the biggest favor. Go to iTunes. Leave a review and a comment and a rating for this podcast. You have no idea how much it helps. It helps far more than it actually should. It seems mundane, but trust me, it's necessary. Also, if you're shopping on Amazon, use my link, notsam.com slash Amazon. It's the same website. It's the same prices. It's the same everything except a small cut of whatever you spend kicks back to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's how I keep the show free. It's how I keep the entire back catalog free. It's how I keep all these guests coming on. It's how I keep everything moving. So get her done. And let's enjoy another episode here of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome to the show. It's going to be a good one today. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thank you all for downloading, for streaming, for subscribing, for doing it all, and being a part of this mission to create the premier wrestling podcast for wrestling fans. If you want to look for a spot to help you vent some of your frustrations so that you can be a little more critical of what's going on on television, this might not be the spot for you. But if you like what you see on TV, this is the spot for you. If you don't like what you see on TV, but you wish you did, this could be the spot for you. What I like to do is take something that you might be sitting there with uh, and, and perplexed by and explain how maybe possibly... It could work. It's all part of the of the motto and the mission of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. We're back in the home studio. There's a lot to talk about this week. Uh, I want to talk to you about my plans for payback this weekend. I want to talk about uh, some national news that the show made over the week. Uh, there's And, of course, everything that went down on Raw and SmackDown and in a couple of other spots throughout the wrestling world. But, as always, we're going to start with our interview. Of course, last week we had Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows. The week before that we had Bray Wyatt. Both of those interviews are going to be going up at youtube.com slash notsam. By the way, you want to get a Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt, a Not Sam t-shirt, a What's the Haps t-shirt, whatever you need, go to notsam.com slash merch. However, let's get into who the interview is with this week. It's a, it's a little controversial. For a WWE shill, it's a little surprising, I would even say, because my guest this week on the podcast is Vince Russo, Vic Venom himself. You know, Vince Russo uh, is somebody that I'm a fan of because as as combative as he is, as irritating as he can be, Vince Russo, to me, just is always entertaining. And he's never claimed to be anything but entertaining. I'm entertained by the guy. And I did his podcast a few months ago, and I had a great time on it. You know, I like him as a person. But his name caught my eye because I was looking at my Twitter feed over the weekend, and he had all this beef with other, like, wrestling podcasts and and newsletters and stuff like that. And I didn't really understand why. And so I did a little due diligence, and I went over to his podcast feed, and I saw he had an episode 
called Castrating the Marks. And I was like, what is this? And I realized that he had done a show, I listened to it, that he was basically just playing clips of, of other wrestling podcasts and, and, and newsletter writers and people like that that run pay shows and just blasting them for no apparent reason other than he was irritated. And some of them I like. You know, some of them I don't know, but some of the people he's talking about I like. I like. Everybody knows I like Wade Keller. I have him on the show a lot. But I don't know. There's something to me that's entertaining about a guy who is going after people out of seemingly out of the blue. And I totally get why the people he's going after wouldn't like him. I wouldn't like it if he did that to me, but he didn't do that to me. So I wanted to I wanted to see where he was coming from with that. And and beyond all the wrestling podcast drama that he's partaking in and probably starting a lot of. Uh, just talk to him about wrestling in general and about his career. You know, Vince Russo, to me, was the first widely known creative person. Before Vince Russo, you didn't know who was on the writing team. Now, of course, you know, we hear Bruce Pritchard's podcast and we know about Bruce Pritchard and Pat Patterson and The Pool and Vince McMahon and all this stuff. But before Vince Russo... As it was happening, we weren't really conscious conscious of the creative team, of the creative process at WWE. It wasn't something the audience was so aware of. And I, to me, I feel like it was Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara that were the first names that people really associated with the creative team. And it almost gave life. It almost created the existence of this thing that we as fans all now know as the creative team. And the reason why now we as fans, the smart fans, you know, the smartest among us, uh, we, when we talk about WWE and we talk about decisions made and we talk about what's going on on the TV show, you always hear people making reference to, well, what's wrong with creative well, why would the creative team do this? Well, the writing is wrong. Well, somebody in creative needs to come up with a better idea. That wasn't happening so much before Vince Russo became such a big figure in this thing. And, and you know, he was hands-on with Raw during the Attitude Era and then Nitro after that and then TNA. He's just, he's an interesting guy and there were a lot of interesting things to talk to him about. So I said, you know, People who listen to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, they like interesting. I like interesting. So let's do something interesting. Let's have Vince Russo on the show. And that's who we have. The man who started as a freelance writer for WWE Magazine. He was promoted to editor of WWE Magazine. He became a writer of television. He became head of creative. He became Vince McMahon's right-hand guy as far as TV writing went at a time when TV writing was as important as it ever had been. Vince Russo was in charge of TV during the era when TV became more important than ticket sales, I think. Before the Monday Night War, WWE TV was really just a commercial, an infomercial, if you will, for people to buy tickets to the live events and pay-per-view. It wasn't until the Monday Night Wars got underway that the the rating, the, the TV rating, actually meant something. That the the success of a company became that the the measure of the success of a company became its Monday Night TV rating. That's something to this day we look at 
but I don't think something that was looked at as much before the Monday Night Wars and before Vince Russo. So, like him or not, Vince Russo has a pretty large place in WWE history, being as big of a part of it as he was during an era that was as important as it was. So Vince Russo is my guest this week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Enjoy. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Well, welcome for the first time on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Uh, probably one of the more, uh, I guess, controversial guests that we've we've had. Vince Russo is here. What's going on, man? Hey, Sam. How you doing, man? I uh, I know I had you on my show a while back, and it's a pleasure to be appearing on yours. I appreciate the call. Yeah, for sure. I, I have to tell you, you know, I, I keep up with everything you do, but um, I <laughs> had to send you a message because I don't know if you know this, but when I was working for Opie and Anthony, uh, I created a segment that we did annually called Jocktober, where every day for the entire month of Jocktober – I would find a radio show from across the country and just bring in clips and we would just mock them and make fun of them. <laughs> and that's that was the whole – and it became this thing that like it wasn't nice. It wasn't necessary and the audience <laughs> loved it. And it all came back to me when I, I caught some Twitter buzz over what you were doing and I looked over at your podcast feed and I found uh, castrating the marks <laughs> – <laughs> well, you know, Sam, Sam, what 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 the funniest thing to me is, I, I got to be honest, the most entertaining is, l- let's face it, you know, Sam, wrestling is, you know, it's 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 fake fighting. And, you know, it's it's a television show and it's entertainment. And I know, you know, you're a very entertaining guy. I'm an entertaining guy. You do an entertaining show. I try to do an entertaining show. The funny thing to me is, just how seriously this group of people take fake fighting like they they've literally forgotten these matches are not real there's no belts on the line it's a television show and it's entertainment now you know if we're talking about 12 13 14 year old kids okay but Sam, we're talking about guys our age that literally have shows about wrestling that they take so seriously that they kind of become a parody of themselves. So I just thought, hey, man, listen, these guys will supply the content for me. And I'm just going to kind of, you know, expose them to show them how ridiculous they look to everybody else. And you could understand, though, why it would upset wrestling fans that this would be something that you did because like you get a lot of uh, uh of of critiques i think for some of the stuff that you did uh creatively in terms of maybe it not having the best long-term value i feel like a lot of the stuff that you did you were a guy who uh, was in charge of creative in a time in wrestling when it was all about what's happening right now what's happening this week we got to do something right now right now right now and that right the long term was never really your focus whereas for wrestling fans, for some reason, there's something about wrestling that, as an adult, you don't just kind of pick it up. Any adult that watches wrestling has been watching wrestling for decades. So this idea that you kind of make fun of people who have wrestling shows, or or even more so, 
you know, people come to you and they're like, well, why would you do this? This doesn't respect the thing that we've been watching for years. And you respond with, well, because, you know, it's dumb. It's a TV show. It is what it is. Relax. It's infuriating. Well, yeah, well, yeah and Sam, but he, here's the thing that bothers There's two things that really bother me. First of all, how, how seriously these guys, these guys take something that isn't supposed to be taken seriously. Wrestling is a television show. But here's the second thing that really gets to me. Now, Sam, I know, you know, you got a relationship with the WWE. A lot of times, bro, I see you posting pictures of yourself and WWE talent. That tells me, you know, Sam is on Sirius. He has a popular show. He's got a relationship with the WWE. He's backstage. He's in a locker room. You have the credentials, bro. You're a professional. So I respect that. These guys that charge people for money have never been in the wrestling business, don't have any credentials, don't, you know, don't have press passes, only talk to the talent, you know, behind Vince McMahon's back. And a lot of times that talent has an ax to grind. But the bottom line is these people have no credentials. And somewhere along the line, they've labeled themselves experts and they charge people money to listen to them. I just don't understand how could you be an expert if you've never legitimately spent one second working in the wrestling business. Well, I guess they would say it's because these are guys who have, have followed it and and picked up on audience trends and researched it. Like, for instance, do you think uh, a baseball play-by-play man who's never actually been on the field, can he really give an analysis of what goes on if he's never actually been on the field? Like a Joe yes, Buck, for because, instance. Yes, because he has access to the locker room and he has access to the players and he has access to management. So absolutely. I mean, my God, come on, Sam. If you've got access to Vince McMahon, if you got access to a Triple H, if you got access to a John Cena and you, you literally have the right and the credentials to sit down and talk to these people, you're going to get an education on wrestling. Listen, man, I started a baseball podcast, but the reality of it is I know I'm a baseball fan. I know I don't have the credentials to be an expert in the field. So I did a baseball podcast. My podcast was for free and I made it clear I was a fan like everybody else. I just don't know how you're an expert when you don't have any access to, uh, you know, with the company you're talking about. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's no doubt that, that no matter how long you pay attention to something. The minute that you actually step foot behind the curtain, there's that, you know, you just get inundated with these aha moments where stuff that didn't make sense for 20 years all of a sudden goes like, oh, oh, well, I guess that's why. So, I mean, it, it's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Sam, I mean, I, yeah, yes, because Sam, listen, man, when, when you're, when, when Bill Goldberg's in your face and, and literally he's about three seconds from killing you. Okay, bro, now you've been there and you've done that. But experiencing that and just talking about the business are two completely different things. Now, maybe if these yahoos didn't charge people, I wouldn't have a problem. 
but to charge people and call yourself an expert, it's it's a sham. And somebody had exposed these people. Why did uh, why did Goldberg want to kill you? Oh God, bro! Honestly, because <laughs> I we needed him to do a job, and we needed him to do a job to Scott Steiner. And Goldberg looked me in the eye and said, he said, uh, I said, why do you have an issue with this? And he said, because if this were real, Scott Steiner would not beat me. And, and li- listen, bro, I'll be honest with you. I know Scott Steiner and I don't know about that. So when when Bill said that to me, I, I said to him nonchalantly, why don't you go tell Scott that? <laughs> and then when it, when it came to that night when he had to do the job, bro, it was me and him alone in a room. He pulled up a chair about a foot from my face and he was huffing and puffing and rocking back and forth. And all I could say to him was, and I said this, and and maybe I was nuts to say it, but I said, Bill, if you're going to hit me, just hit me and get it over with because you're not going to intimidate me. And I think that kind of deflated him. And from there, we were able to do business. But my point is, Unless you've been in those kind of experiences, un- unless you know you can, you know, you're around the talent and you spend time with the talent, you're not an expert. You have no idea what's happening behind the scenes. Why? Uh, so one of the things that you said early on was that people forget it's fake fighting and that's what the business is. But then, how can Goldberg come to you? And I'm assuming this is the early 2000s. And say, well, I'm not going to lose in this fake fight to Scott because if it was real, I would win. Because there are, Sam, there there are guys that take the business way too seriously. And there are some guys, guys themselves. You you know the saying, Mark. you've You've been around. They become marks for themselves. I think there's a lot of guys today on the WWE roster that somehow, some way, have convinced themselves that wrestling is actually real <laughs> to the point of going out in that in that ring and and performing some very 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 dangerous moves where they could find themselves paralyzed for life they could find themselves dead all in an effort to what try to convince people that a fake fight is real so you you the, you do have wrestlers that become marks for themselves but they that really is few and far between sam the majority of the guys understand it's a show it's entertainment it's television so you think that's why some of the guys end up being more violent than they have to be or taking more risks than they have to be it's because they haven't really got past that point where you don't need to convince the audience necessarily that what they're seeing is a truly legitimate fight because the audience knows what they're seeing. Well, Sam, when, when I first officially got started in the business, it was back in 1991. And and literally around that time is when yeah, I, I remember we, we did our first chat with AOL. The very I remember it back in like 93. And, you know, around that time, it got exposed to the world. Wrestling is a work. You know, it's a show. It's a television show. None of this is real. 
But like I said, bro, I don't know what happened in the last especially five years, but you got a whole crew of, of young talent that like somehow have convinced themselves it's about the match. Uh, and, and we have to go out there and do crazy stuff and put ourselves at risk to get the crowd to chant, this is awesome. It's the most preposterous thing I've ever heard in my life. Here's what any wrestler's agenda should be. And Sam, you can appreciate this. These wrestlers have a shelf life. From a business standpoint, they're only going to be able to make money for so long. So what they want to do is they want to try to extend that wrestling life and that shelf life as long as they possibly can because the time's going to come when they're not going to be able to perform in the ring anymore. But yet you got guys in their 20s, in their late 20s, early 30s that are performing these ridiculous moves that require no psychology and in an instant – Somebody can break a neck. Somebody's going to break. And, and, and I'm telling you, Sam, I'm telling you right now, somebody is going to get paralyzed in the ring doing one of these crazy, unnecessary things. And then all of a sudden there's going to be the, oh, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. We, we better look at the way, you know, these guys are wrestling nowadays. They did the same thing with the concussions. Dozens and dozens and dozens of concussions till finally, whoa. Wait a minute. Maybe we need to stop hitting people in the head with chairs. It's going to be the same thing. So who do you see, maybe not you know, calling out a name of somebody you think is going to paralyze somebody, but who do you watch on TV and go, oh, he does not need to be that dangerous? Oh, a, a lot of – the majority of the WWE roster. And listen, here's somebody that I love, Sam. I love – I absolutely love Charlotte Flair. I, I mean, I don't know if you know the history, but back in 1999 when I was at WCW and we did an angle with Ric Flair and David Flair, Charlotte was part of that angle and she was a little girl. Right. So I have a soft spot in my heart for Charlotte. I love her to death. I love watching her. I think when all is said and done, she's going to be the greatest woman's champion of all time. I believe that. But, bro, when she does that moonsault <laughs> to the outside, I, I cringe every single time. And a lot of times, Sam, she's doing that with workers that are green and workers that really don't know how to protect her. I saw her do it to a Nia Jax a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I, I thought Charlotte was going to break her neck. And I, here's the bottom line. There's no reason for that because she is a star. She carries herself like a star. She knows psychology. She's a great worker. She can cut a promo. She's got every tool in the book. But every time I see her do that, I, I, I literally hold my breath because one if she's off by a fraction of an inch, it could be disastrous. You know, it's so funny that you brought up that example because I, you know, I don't pretend to know anything about what it, what actually goes on inside the ring because I don't get in the ring. You know, I don't know, but I think it was that Raw when she fought Nia Jax. I think that was the Raw in Long Island, and I was there with Peter Rosenberg, and we were watching that match live. And the minute she did that. And you'll never find two bigger Charlotte fans than me and Peter. But the minute she did that, we both looked at each other and said, she doesn't need to be doing that 
anymore. Oh uh, yeah, I I wrote to her the next day. Like I I literally DM'd her the next day and I said, please, please, please be careful because he. Listen, man, I gotta tell you, Sam, Charlotte's old school. What the the minute she comes down the ramp, you know a star is in the house. Let's face it, she learned from the best, and I can't say that for a lot of guys in the WWE roster, on my opinion. A lot of them look look like my next-door neighbor. But she's got all the tools the, from, from the outfits to the she, – yeah, she doesn't need to do that. And and I, 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 I hope sooner rather than later she understands that. When you first started uh, uh, doing stuff in wrestling, you were doing a wrestling radio show in Long Island or, or in New York. So at that point in your life – do you do you relate to some of the stuff that you might criticize people for? Because at, at one point, before you were anywhere near being involved in the business, you were hosting a wrestling radio show. You know what I mean? Oh, and, absolutely and it was something not, that you but, got paid but, for. Absolutely, Sam. But my show, just by the name of the show, you're going to know what it was. It was called Vicious Vincent's World of Wrestling. I was part of the act. It was entertaining. We weren't talking about the politics and the backstabbing and the gossip and the hearsay. That's not what we were talking about. We were literally doing what the WWE was doing to the point of when when the WWE was in Nassau Coliseum, they used to let me host my show before the event. So even back then, before I was officially in the wrestling business, I did it from an entertainment aspect. These guys, what they don't understand is they ruin people's lives. And what they don't understand is they have they have rats. They have guys in the locker room that are giving them information. But here's, here's where they turn a blind eye. A lot of these guys that are giving information probably have an agenda, probably have an axe to grind. A lot of the guys giving them information are the guys that want the dirt sheet writers to put them over. So it's a trade-off. I mean, I, I'm reading the other day. Uh, I, I just had uh, uh, Sam Gotch on the show. Just had him on the show, bro, and he was wide open to me. He told me, you know, that, you know, the WWE let him go, and he told me, like, when when the uh, phone call came from that Corrado guy, what time it was, where he was at, and he basically said to me, you know, they called him and said, your character's run its course. The next thing, the very next day, I'm reading Meltzer say that the guy asked for his release. <laughs> the guy was just on my show less than 24 hours ago. And, I mean, Sam, you know Don well. If a wrestler asks for their release, they're not going to say they were let go. They're, gonna, <laughs> they're going to say, I was asked for my release. But, but that's what I mean, stuff like that. And, and here's the thing, Sam. They're wrong so many times, and there's never a retraction. There is never a retraction. I just – I don't understand what kind of reporting that is. Did you did – was this something that bothered you even when you were in like WWE and WCW? Because, I mean the dirt sheets have been around forever and they were certainly popular. Meltzer was popular and, and Pro Wrestling Torch was popular when you were doing Raw and Nitro. Sam, let me go back to 1991 when I first got in the business, okay? I, I got into the business with a guy that I didn't know – 
who had a dirt sheet called the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. It was at the time Vince McMahon almost went to jail for steroids, Mm -hmm. distributing steroids, whatever. It was right around that time. Well, these guys all got together, and Meltzer was one of these guys. I met Meltzer back in 91, bro. It was Meltzer. It was, I'm not even going to mention this guy's name who, who I did the show with, Superstar Billy Graham. All of these guys got together, and, and, and they had, one, they had one, uh, one thing they wanted to accomplish and one thing only, and that was to take Vince McMahon down. If you go back and remember, that's when all of a sudden stories are coming out about Pat Patterson and stories are coming about ring announces and who's got a toe fetish and this and that. <laughs> these, guys, these guys were hunting for everything. Because they, they, it was a witch hunt, bro. And I remember sitting there and I remember saying to myself, first of all, why would anybody want to take down the guy who is responsible for you guys having a living? Without Vince McMahon, there's no freaking wrestling business. And number two, that's when I realized I didn't want to get into wrestling for this. I wanted to get into wrestling because I'm a fan and I enjoy it and I love the entertainment aspect. I don't want to ruin anybody's lives or careers. So I I saw it firsthand all the way back in 1991. Why did people want to ruin Vince McMahon? Like why that that doesn't make sense to me because at the end of the day, a wrestling journalist is a wrestling fan. And whether you love every episode of Raw or not, and I think, you know, we talked about that when I did your show, if you're a wrestling fan, you've got to have some kind of reverence for Vince McMahon, right? Ego. Ego, bro. They, they, they all wanted to make a name for themselves. It, it's the same way today, Sam. They all want to get the scoop. As a matter of fact, like they argue with each other that they steal each other's news and this one doesn't give that one credit. They're all looking for the scoop. They all want the scoop. The scoop is what sells subscriptions. That's why you got to ask yourself, if you want the scoop that badly and there isn't a scoop, well, how else are you going to sell subscriptions? You're going to make up scoops. And that's what they do a lot of the time. And like I said, when they're proven wrong, there's no retraction whatsoever. And who would have thought, instead of making up scoops, you could just do a podcast making fun of them, and you'll have just as many people talking about you. You don't need to exactly. make anything Very up. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. I want to I ask about, uh, uh, about you know, as, as – more and more of the wrestling business, I guess, started to be exposed. Like, I, I, I went to a show not too long ago with a, with a Hollywood screenwriter who had no wrestling knowledge at all, and he wanted to educate himself on it because of a project he was doing. And I tried to explain to him what was going on with Roman Reigns. And, and what I tried to explain to him was that we've gotten to a place now where the fans are not booing the wrestler, they're actually booing the creative team and the creative writing that goes into this character. It's become this super, super beta, you know, thing. Um, and to me, I feel like the the idea of being knowledgeable of a writing team and, and, and writers really started with you and you and Ed Ferrara going over to WCW. I don't think that people really give enough credit to the fact that when when you guys jumped ship to WCW, it was treated as if WCW had stolen talent. 
meaning it was treated the way, I don't know if it was as big a deal as Hulk Hogan, but it was like, you know, it was any, any time a WWE talent went to WCW, it was newsworthy, and you guys were the first two that brought that kind of attention to the writing staff, which I don't think had happened before. Do you think that that, that, that had a long-term positive effect or a negative effect? No, I, he, he, the WWE has brought this situation upon themselves, Sam, and, and I'll tell you why. When I wrote for any wrestling company, any wrestling company, what I had to do was when I was writing for each individual character, whether it's Austin, The Rock, Mick Foley, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, you name them. Whenever I was in front of my computer writing for that talent, I had to put myself in the boots of that talent. What would Austin do if this happened? What would The Rock do if somebody said this to him? I literally had to become the talent and I had to take on their personalities and everybody is going to act different in every scenario. Here's where the WWE dropped the ball with Roman Reigns and and here's what I would have done if I were writing because I believe Roman Reigns would have done this as a shoot and Sam I know you're a big fan and I know you'll know exactly what I'm talking about remember two years ago when Roman Reigns won the Rumble in Philadelphia first of all they set up a horrible finish where they made it obvious that he was going to win that was on the writers so the fans had about five minutes to sink in ah crap Roman Reigns is going to win this match but then do you remember when he won that match in Philly and they booed him out of the building you remember that I was there I mean, I remember okay. not only not only do I remember that, I remember his face coming up on the Titantron at the beginning of the show, and he's already getting booed. And I'm okay. going, I'm going, this has to be something that people are aware of. Now, Sam, if if that's me, and this if I'm the writer now, and and this guy just won the rumble, and they're booing him out of the building, if it's me. I'm buzzing the referee from the gorilla position. I'm telling the referee, tell Roman to flip the double bird to the crowd. Because I guarantee you that character would have done that. And if right then and there he would have double birded the audience, they would have been off to the races with Roman Reigns. But, but see, th there's a difference, Sam. When you have writers writing a television show, it's going to be like that. When you have wrestling people booking a wrestling show, now good guys are going to be good guys and bad guys are going to be bad guys. And that's why they fail miserably with Reigns. I'm a huge Reigns fan. I, I wish I was writing for Roman Reigns. You have to listen to the people. That's why the Attitude Era was so successful. The people dictated our direction. We gave them what they wanted. That's why ratings went through the roof. And, and the minute they started booing him out of the building, he should have double birded them off and we would have been off to the races. Do you think, I was thinking about this and you're kind of, rise within the WWE and the fact that you became as powerful creatively as you became. Will there ever be a, is there a way that somebody could follow the path that you went on? Or is that, is that gone? Never. Cause you're Never. talking about, you Never. came in, you come in 
You're a freelancer for WWF Magazine. Then you're the editor. Somehow, you have – I don't know if it's because you had balls or because you just didn't know any better. You get in Vince's ear about how you think the product should be, which I don't think would already – I don't think we would get there nowadays. Well, Sam, three things, bro. Number one, I did have balls. Number two, I didn't know any better, Sam. I really didn't because so, some of the t- sometimes I would walk away from a meeting with Vince, and I, I literally, I would be shocked I wasn't fired with some of the things I said. But the, here was the most important thing, Sam. Number three, Sam, do you know how much time I spent alone with Vince, where it was just him and I? There, there was a time when it was just the two of us writing the show. Before Ed Ferrara came along, it was just Vince and I. When you have 20 writers now, 25 writers, and you got to go through Stephanie and Triple H got to give his blessing, and there's no way in hell it can ever be that way again. And, and here's the part, Sam, that I don't understand. When it was just me and Vince, then when it was just me and one writing partner, the two of us, that worked. The numbers are there to prove that worked. How they went from two writers to 25 writers, I have no idea. But wrestle, writing by committee will never, ever work in the wrestling business. How did the, uh, how did the Bruce Pritchards and Pat Patterson's of the world, the guys that had been Vince's creative partners for so long, how did they feel about this idea that you were getting that kind of one-on-one time with Vince McMahon? I, I don't think I don't think Pat cared because, quite frankly, like Pat used to retire every month. So, like, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I think Pat had his share of you know being attached to Vince. So I don't think Pat really cared. I think it was a little different with Bruce. I think at that time back then, and Bruce is a friend, and he was a friend back then. But I think at that time back then, there may have been a little jealousy because. You know, some politics started to come into play, but I also remember the minute it started to come into play, Vince squashed it immediately. So when you when you start when you go to WCW, when you do stuff with TNA and you don't repeat the success that you had in WWF. Do you say well, I, I, Sam? Sam, I, I I don't know if I'd say that to be honest with you, because listen, again, I'm a numbers guy, Sam. Uh-huh. Sam, when I was at TNA, we were over two million viewers. TNA is at three hundred thousand today. Wow. So like, I can't like I I'd love to agree with you. Listen, at, at WCW. I did not have the success I wanted. I got killed politically. I literally wrote for the first three months. The numbers were going up, and then politics killed me, okay? TNA, bro, we were over 2 million viewers a week. They're looking at 300,000 now. So when I look at TNA and their 10-year history, I don't know if they're ever going to come anywhere near what their success was when when I was there writing the show. So if those are the numbers, and the numbers are the numbers, why do you suppose TNA isn't saying, Russo, you like you need to be back here? Obviously, the Ego. company is being Ego. restructured. Ego. I'll, 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 I'll say it flat out. Jeff Jarrett's there now. Listen, they don't want to – see, Vince McMahon – like Vince McMahon knew he was the boss. Vince McMahon was comfortable in his own shoes. Vince McMahon never looked at Vince Russo as a threat. 
from a business point of view, Vince McMahon looked at it like, you know what, this crazy Italian from New York, maybe this guy can help me. That's how Vince looked at it. But, you know, other people, unfortunately, are not that way. Other people I'm a threat to, and they don't want to be challenged. And and they literally want minions that are going to fall in line and do exactly what they want them to do. And I'm not that guy. And, and they know I'm not that guy. They want to be in charge. They want to have all the power. So they'll continue to do what they're doing and draw 300,000 people. Uh, have you thought thought about the idea of change because i remember last time i i did your show you were talking about uh figuring out how to go mainstream little less wrestling and i told you it was it wasn't going to happen just because of what your history was unless you wanted to start from scratch have you thought about just stealing bruce pritchard's format of his podcast and just telling stories from specific incidents of what happened whether it's in the attitude era whether it's at that end of wcw even if it's tna well, we do, you know, I, I do my show on Podcast One in the Realm Network. And, and, you know, now and then we'll review Nitro shows. We'll review Attitude Era shows. We just did a review of WrestleMania 10 not that long ago. But I got to tell you this, Sam. Mm-hmm. Bruce Pritchard is the greatest storyteller <laughs> I've ever met. He is unfreaking believable. Nobody could tell a story like Bruce. He's very, 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 very entertaining. Um, so like that, that's that's not my thing. I, I really like to give the writer's perspective of, you know, here's why we did this. This is why it worked. This is why today some of these things, you know, not might not be working as well as they were back then. So do you disagree with the uh, prevailing theory that Vince Russo needed a Vince McMahon? I, 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 I would never say I needed a Vince. I, I would never say I, I didn't need a Vince McMahon. I would never say that in a million, million, million years. I okay. was lucky to have a Vince McMahon. But, you know, th- those that try to discredit me by saying Vince was the filter, I, I mean, that, that notion is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, Vince was not the filter. Vince McMahon cannot write a wrestling show on a blank white piece of paper. That's not what he does. And 99% of the time, Vince went with everything that I wrote. But here's what I say all the time. This is the genius of Vince, and this is the greatness of Vince. And this this is a shoot, not the fact that he was some great filter. This is the shoot. When I would work on the show, Sam, literally my blood, my sweat, my tears would be on that page because I knew I had to hand this page to Vince and he's going to look to poke every hole possible in it. So I used to go through the show over and over and over again and I was not going to let him find one flaw or one hole in the show. Then when I used to take that show to him, he never used to change anything big picture. He never used to cross anything out. But what he would do is if, if, if I, I had a segment and that segment was a nine, Vince McMahon would find that little nuance every single time and make that nine a ten. 
and I would just sit there and I'm and I'd be like, why didn't I see that? Oh my <laughs> god! Like he was, he would see things nobody else could see. That was the genius of Vince McMahon, and that made me a better writer. But those that try to discredit me, oh, Vince, Vince filtered all the stuff and edited. That's just absolute BS. Did he take the stuff and and always make it that much better? Absolutely, yes. Well, and it's also, I think, the idea that anybody that's worked creatively knows that if they find a genius, and I think it would be tough to say Vince isn't a genius, if you find a genius that you can work with, your work's going to be made better just being around that yes. energy. Absolutely, Sam. Absolutely. Let me ask you about about making the leaps that you made because you know there's there's little little clips that you find on YouTube or I think there was a little something in Beyond the Mat that uh, showed you actually working with talent and you look very comfortable doing it and, and it's and it's where you're at when that first becomes something that you do because like you said I think that you run the risk of the talent feeling about you. Theoretically, the way you feel about some of these quote-unquote journalists that we were talking about at the beginning of the show where the talent may be looking at you wondering what gives you the credibility to tell them what to do. How long does it take you to get comfortable enough that you have a good relationship with most of them? And, and how do you start that? Do you just dive in head first and say, look, this is what it is and here's what we're doing and start throwing ideas? Sam, I've been a wrestling fan since I'm 12 years old. So when I got in the business, I wouldn't have dreamed of telling a talent what they had to do because I respected them way, way, way too much. It was a conversation. It was a two-way two conversation because here's the bottom line, Sam. I, I walk into the WWE show. I got a right for 50 guys. Meanwhile, these guys, all they're thinking about is their character and their gimmick. Right. That's all they're honing in on. So now I would come to them and say, all right, guys, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I've got. And then, of course, I would take their feedback and their input because they knew their characters better than anybody. So it was always a conversation. It was always a team effort and a group effort. If I would have thought for one second I was going to walk back there and say, you're going to do this and you're going to do that, I would have been out of my mind. But that's something else that I hear today. You know, they're handed a script. And they got to go out there and cut that script verbatim. And they're afraid to go, you know, out of the, the, the guidelines. And it wasn't like that during the attitude. During the attitude, everybody had their hands on it because everybody just wanted the best possible product. There were no egos involved. Was WCW the same way or was WCW a place where there were a lot more egos? That was a nightmare. That was the, the, the first time I ever set foot in a WCW locker room, I knew I was done. I, I knew I was absolutely done. I just came from this great environment at the WWE, and I went to a company where the superstars sat on one side of the building and the, uh, you know, the mid-carders sat in another. It, it was a nightmare, and I saw it with my own two eyes the second I walked into a locker room. Did you regret it immediately? 
I didn't regret it because the reason I left the WWE was for personal reasons and for, for because of something Vince said to me. Uh-huh. So I, I, I left for all the right reasons, so I, I never regretted leaving, no. So you didn't want to be there at that point regardless, regardless of where you were no. going. Yeah, I see. I see. No. What is, no. What is your what's your favorite segment, your favorite thing that you wrote or were responsible for? in the world of, of wrestling? I would definitely say Rock joining the corporation because that was such a beautifully written story between Ed, Ed Farrar and myself. It was like over a three-month period. You know, we dotted every I, we crossed every T, and nobody saw that coming. And And I was in the building that night when Rock joined the corporation, and you literally could hear absolute silence when that happened and it almost took about 10 seconds for it to register to people what they just saw you'll never see television writing like that again in wrestling because that is impossible when you have so many chefs in the kitchen so and that thing that like you just said is a story that's told over the course of three months and that's to me the best stories when you get to the end and you go, oh my god, because all the pieces. It's yep. like a Tarantino movie. All the pieces start coming right. together, and you realize but you, what you you're can't. Doing. Like, yeah, like, like I said, with the with the way that company is structured right now, you'll never ever see that again. You cannot do that with twenty people. But weren't there a lot of examples too? I don't know if there were a lot or not. Weren't there some examples too of? ideas or angles that you had a hand in that were more just sort of like, ah, let's just try this and not a hundred percent know where it was going or maybe there. Cause we, there were... we, I mean, Sam, we, we never knew where anything was going. I mean, that that's the thing we wrote week to week by putting ourselves in the boots of the characters. Like what, what would Austin do this week? I mean, that's how we wrote the show. We never knew where it was going. But here's what our attitude was, Sam. Our attitude was this week's show is going to be better than next week's show. We had that confidence in ourselves that no matter what we did, we were going to come back the next week and write a better show. While you're doing things week to week and saying, how do we make it better? How do we up it, up it, up it? There are storylines that you're – doing long term there is the rock joining the corporation and that story being told over the course of three months not necessarily just here's this week here's this week here's this week so when you have a result like you see when the rock joins the corporation and when you see three months of work come out is there a part of you that makes you want to be doing that a lot more meaning a lot more of these stories that are played out over the long haul, not necessarily just what's going to happen this week. Where are we going now? Sam, I think they were all played out in the long haul. I, I think all, I think week to week to week to week, everything fit together. And I mean, you, you, listen, I, I go back and I watch the Attitude Era show. And people that say things that make sense from week to week, again, those are the same dirt sheets saying they're experts and trying to take a shot at me. Because one of the things Ed Ferrara and myself always did, the first thing we always did was what happened last week. 
We have to pick it up with what happened last week so we can make this seamless. We wrote every single show that way. And and nowadays I see it happen a lot where something happens one week and the next week they completely forgot all about it and nobody mentions it. We never did that. And like I said, the shows are out there. They're on the WWE Network. Anybody can go out there and look at the shows. You know, what, what, what has happened now since the product today is not as good as it was during the Attitude Era, all the critics who love today's product because these guys are in the rings killing themselves and there's no psychology and there's no storytelling, they will now sit back and try to poke holes of things that happened 17 years ago that never happened. They're, they're just poking holes in it because I dare anybody to go back and look at those shows and tell me that those shows weren't seamless. Here's, here's what I want to do, and this is a challenge that I want to put for myself because, you know, um, as, I, as I told you when I sent you a message, uh, some of the people that you were not terribly kind to on castrating the marks, uh, I like, I'm friends with, but at the same time, I feel like, uh, Vince Russo, you have never – lost your ability to be entertaining at the end of the day it's all entertaining to me what i want to do at some point this may take me a while i want to take on the responsibility i want to go through some attitude era shows and then i want to have you back on the show and i want to ask you because i'm sure in my mind's eye there were definitely loose ends that never got i love you to do that i want to i swear I i would i'd love you to I'm going to because that, that because Sam that that's why it was episodic television. That's why it was must see TV. That's why you had to watch it every single week because you had to see where the story was going, and that's why the ratings grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. So I absolutely, positively would love you to do that, and would love to have a conversation with you about it. Okay, then I will also invite people to tweet me at not Sam and and ask questions that you feel like never got answered in the Attitude Era storyline questions. I'm going to look at those questions because a lot of them I can probably answer because I I know all this stuff. But I'm going to figure out and I'm going to do my own research. And at some point in the future, I'm going to have you back on and I'm going to ask you the loose ends. So Now, Sam, don't make promises you can't keep, bro. (laughs) <laughs> no. Are and, you going to do this, Sam? And I'll tell you what. If I cannot, if I simply am embarrassed and I'm like, you know what? There's no loose ends. I will have you back on regardless. And I will say, Vince, what can I tell you? You now, wrote perfect TV. Sam, let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you something. There's definitely loose ends, but I, I can guarantee you like, there'll be an explanation of loose ends. I'll give you a perfect loose end I could think of off the top of my head. Great. We were doing for the long time a GTV. GTV. Yes. Remember GTV? Of course I did. And then all of a sudden we didn't know who, what GTV was and it went nowhere. Oh, yes. You know why that was? No. It just went away. I was writing that I was writing that for Tom Green, who was the hottest thing <laughs> at the time on MTV. People forget Tom Green was before there was ever a jackass. Yo, Tom yeah. Green paved the way. So I was writing Green TV for the show. <laughs> and then it came time to, you know, you know, Kid sell it to Vince. Vince had no idea who Tom Green was, so we had to drop it. And I tried to make it Gold Dust TV at that point. So there, there's going to be holes, yeah. But I guarantee you, there's not going to be like plot holes 
or story holes unless somebody got hurt or Vince didn't know who Tom Green was or stuff like that. So you got GTV on television before you had the conversation with Vince about what GTV was. Yes, because I, I had a feeling he might not know who Tom Green was. It was the same thing. I don't know if you ever heard this story, Sam. One of my other favorite stories, too. The Blair Witch Project had just come out. Right. right. And Sable was at odds with the company. Right. So me and, it, me and Ed decided to shoot the Blonde Bitch Project. I remember and it. Stevie Rich, yeah, Stevie Richards and the Blue Meanie were out in the woods. Yeah. Okay. And it was a takeoff on the Blair Witch Project. And, bro, the Blair Witch had just come out. I mean, Sam, it was ripping up the box office. Right, I remember. So now we had to bring this finished product to Vince. So Vince looked at this product, you know, the glasses down at the end of the nose, the whole deal. And he, he said to me and Ed, what's this? <laughs> and we said, Vince, it's a takeoff of this movie, the Blair Witch Project. Everybody's talking about it. Yada, 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 yada. And Vince looked at me and Ed and he said with a straight face, dead serious, nobody's going to see that movie. Nobody's going to go see that movie. <laughs> so we had to scrap that. People have not seen those. Meanwhile, Sam, after Vince scrapped it, they reported in like I think it was the Daily News or, or the New York Post that the WWE was doing a parody of the Blair Witch Project which never saw air because Vince said that nobody would go see that movie. Oh, that's great. All right, well, I'm going to do my research. Uh, Vince Russo, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Where can people find your show, your podcast, the whole deal? Yes, Sam, I do. I, I'm on Podcast One five days a week, and we have a different show every day. And then that show airs on video uh, on the Realm Network, that's R-E-L-M Network, Monday through fr Friday, five days a week. Hey, Sam, I want to make one thing clear, though, because I, I don't want to say this. I don't. I want to make it clear. Bro, I came up with some stinkers, like, and, I, and I've – I've admitted my stinkers and I've had stinkers, but um, and, and I have no problem talking about them. But like I said, bro, I know we were very, very careful in writing episodic television. All right. Well, I'm going to hold you to it. Thank you, Vince Russo. Thank you, Sam. Really appreciate it. Here is Sam Roberts. I promise you I am going to do that podcast. I Thank you to Vince Russo for being on the show, but I am absolutely going to have him back on. And I am absolutely going to make a list of every single plot hole, every storyline that went nowhere, all of it. And I will press him on every single thing. I don't care if it takes four hours. We could do it in parts. But we're going to get to the bottom. After Vince Russo made that claim, basically saying that the TV writing was pretty close to perfect in the Attitude Era. Help me out, guys. You know, I got a busy plate. Help me out. And, uh, and send me on Twitter, at NotSam, or on Instagram, at NotSam, or Facebook, at NotSam, whatever you want to do. Send me stuff. You can, you can use NotSam.com and use the comment box. Maybe I'll read some emails today because I get all those messages. Um, send me stuff. Send me questions that you have about the Attitude Era. Writing decisions that you think made no sense and went nowhere. And I will press Vince Russo on it for you. Uh, and I think a lot of people will be happy about it. I'm sure he annoyed a lot of people with that interview, and I don't, I don't mind Vince Russo annoying people. Um, but, you know, he's entertaining, and he's always going to have a place in the history of the WWE. Uh, speaking of history, you don't want to be history. You don't want to die. You know what's going to keep you alive? Eating well 
and having some money left over. You know, a lot of people try to eat well, they go broke, they end up starving to death, ironically, because they can't afford the good food. Well, guess what? There is a way that you can not only eat well, but you can save money. As a matter of fact, for less than $10 a meal, you can get fresh, high-quality ingredients delivered right to your door. Uh, courtesy of over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. You'll support a more sustainable food system, and you'll set the highest standards possible for ingredients. It's all part of Blue Apron's freshness guarantee. You can be sure that every ingredient in your delivery is going to arrive ready to cook or they're gonna make it right for you. You trust me on that. It's no wonder why they're the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. You don't have to go out to eat. You don't have to find some weird spot that serves food that you believe is fresh. You can have it shipped right to your door. You can make it yourself. You can impress the your loved one. You can impress your parents. You can impress your classmates, your workmates, whoever, and say, yeah, I made this. Yeah, I made this at home. And this isn't some TV dinner. Wait till you hear what some of the meals that are going to be available in April include. Okay, listen. Spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers, and ricotta salata. How about sweet and sour salmon with bok choy, carrot, and ginger fried rice? How about parmesan crusted chicken with creamy fettuccine and roasted broccoli or even baby broccoli and fontina paninis? with hard-boiled egg and arugula salad. It, it gets no better. People are going to be so impressed. And I'm going to hook it up. Not only is it a good deal, not only are you going to save money, you're going to get to eat for free. That's right. Check out this week's menu, and you can get your first three, one, two, three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash roberts. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Roberts. You're eating for free thanks to this podcast. Blueapron.com slash Roberts. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. Thanks to the New York Post for uh, publishing an article this week about the big show defecating himself. The interview technically never aired here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It was part of my show on Sirius XM, Jim Norton and Sam Roberts, which airs on XM 103 Sirius 206 every morning starting at 8 a.m. Eastern. But uh, I guess the New York Post found the video on my YouTube channel, Not Sam, and decided to post an article about it. And it really is. You never know when you're having these conversations. That's why I never, you know, when I interview people, I talk about things that I'm curious about. I talk about things that you might be curious about, but I never really go for the dirt, if you know what I mean, because you never know what the dirt is. You know, I didn't sit there and think to myself or or have a conversation with Norton and say, all right, before the big show gets here, we need to make sure he tells a story about pooping his pants. I didn't know that was going to happen, but throughout having an organic conversation, which you guys, I feel like, are going to like better anyway, because I know I do, I find it interesting to get to know the people that I'm interviewing as people. You don't see them as as human beings all that often on television. So I like just getting to know them as people, and it only helps uh, when they have amazing stories that end up coming up organically because you're having an organic conversation. So yes, thank you to the New York Post, and if you want to see that interview for yourself, then go ahead and go over to the YouTube channel at Not Sam, and you can see uh, uh, the interview Jim Norton and I did with The Big Show. 
He talks about uh, this WrestleMania, the previous one being his last one. And he talks about what the New York Post decided to report on, which is defecating himself in the middle of a match with Brock Lesnar. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, Also, big announcement. Big, big announcement. I'll be back on the WWE kickoff show panel this Sunday night for uh, Payback. I'm so, I'm pumped. I'm so excited. I love doing these shows. I've, I've, they've been, the, the kickoff shows have been some of the most fun that I've had working in entertainment or media or whatever. It's just going in there, you know, they treat me like family and they let me kind of just say what I think. They let me say what I want. I just go and, and I do the show. I talk to Renee and I've read that Jerry Lawler will be doing it with us and, and, We'll just talk about the show. We'll break it down. We'll analyze. And I will get to be the voice of you, the WWE Universe. So I'm very, very excited. The kickoff show is going to obviously be on an hour before the show at 7 p.m. Eastern. It's actually going to be a really good kickoff show. They've got a Miz TV segment with Finn Balor, which I'm interested in. We'll talk about on the state of wrestling. But it feels like all storylines are in flux. I don't know if the Miz... I, I'm I'm very intrigued at the idea of the Miz and Finn Balor maybe setting up some kind of storyline because it seems like Dean Ambrose is shifting towards Bray Wyatt, who I thought was shifting towards Finn Balor. So maybe we'll just trade dance partners. Who knows? But also the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, are going to uh, be going against Enzo and Big Cass. So it's going to be a really good kickoff show, and you'll have yours truly as part of the panel breaking down the event. Um, so make sure you're watching on the WWE Network and on WWE's YouTube channel. There's a whole lot more to get into this week. So in order to do that, let's start State of Wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. All right, so here's what I've been spending a lot of time thinking about. And I was watching Raw, and I saw Raw. And a lot of you guys tweeted me. You said, Sam, how can Braun Strowman be a good guy? He called all the fans trash. And I was like, I was watching that, and I go, does anyone really think Braun Strowman's going to get booed? Braun Strowman can say whatever he wants about the crowd, and the crowd's just going to cheer him anyway. It's one of those things where, like, and 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 who knew, right? It's been a, it's been a really odd uh, and I guess a little bit unconventional build for Braun Strowman. But it's been arguably the most effective build for anyone, especially any big guy, in years. So we saw this build happen, and everybody was in agreement that it was really, really successful. And it kept going until uh, the Fastlane, I think, the pay-per-view before WrestleMania, when he lost to Roman Reigns. And it was his first loss, and he lost clean. And then his only spot, and then he didn't really do much leading to WrestleMania. He had that one confrontation with The Undertaker, but that was really just a setup for Roman Reigns to come in. It was almost like Braun Strowman took a break between the pay-per-view before WrestleMania and WrestleMania. He took a month off. I, that, that, to me, is what's unconventional. We've never seen a character take a month off from that build. I mean, and I think I mentioned it on the podcast at some point that I guess you just restart after WrestleMania because after WrestleMania is the restart in general, right? After WrestleMania, you start your next 
year of WWE. And, you know, the thinking can be that just because we kind of ended what we were doing with Braun Strowman before WrestleMania doesn't mean that once we restart things, we're done with Braun Strowman. And that's what happened. He took about a month off. You know, he was in the Battle Royal. He didn't win the Battle Royal. I don't think he needed to win the Battle Royal. I don't know if Mojo needed to win the Battle Royal, but certainly Braun Strowman did not need to win the Battle Royal. Um, But it was not... There was not a lot of Braun... But at the same time, there wasn't anything from Samoa Joe at WrestleMania. There wasn't anything from... Finn Balor at WrestleMania, there was a handful of people not represented at WrestleMania, and that's, I guess, just because of how big the show was. No pun intended. But for Braun to now have this build that's even stronger than the several months leading to the pay-per-view before WrestleMania is really kind of remarkable. And I think that the reason that... Braun Strowman is not going to get booed. It's one of these things where, to me, you kind of have to start acknowledging what is going on with the fans, I think. And and maybe it wasn't exactly what you intended. Like, maybe this plan to make Braun Strowman this unstoppable bad guy monster has been so successful that before the good guy can truly conquer this evil monster, the evil monster needs to start fighting on the side of good because he's the guy that people like. He's the guy people are coming to see. There's a big difference, right? Like, if you're the big evil monster, and that's what this build has been, people should be buying tickets and and buying network subscriptions because they want to see you getting destroyed. They want to see somebody finally defeat you. Right now, I think people are tuning into Braun Strowman segments. I think people are buying tickets. I think people are are tuning into uh, pay-per-views on the network because they want to see who Braun Strowman is going to kill next. Uh, The way, you know, I, I, I told you guys about the reaction that he got in Long Island at Raw when he murdered Roman Reigns. I believe Roman Reigns was murdered. I know he's done a WWE.com interview since, but that may have been post-mortem. I'm not 100% sure on it. But the fact that, like, you thought it was over and Braun was like, okay, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just kidding. And then he was like, no, 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 just kidding. You're dead. And he would run over and, like, he'd be like, okay, I threw Roman Reigns off the off the thing while he was in the stretcher. And he appears to be dead. Okay, I'm done with him. No, 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 just kidding. I'm going to punch him in the face a couple times and flip over this ambulance. Same thing he did with Kalisto in the dumpster this week on Raw. When he was like, okay, I locked Kalisto in the dumpster. I acted like I was going to push it off the stage. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to kill you. I am just kidding. You're dead now. And he pushes the dumpster off the stage. Like, Braun Strowman is doing the coolest stuff on TV as a bad guy. But people are going to cheer that. People want to see dumpsters get thrown off stages. People want to see ambulances getting flipped over. People want to see... Superstars, uh, sorry, sorry, but the WWE Universe wants to see superstars get thrown in the garbage by bigger superstars. I didn't know that it's something that I wanted to see until I saw it, so I don't blame anybody for assuming, wow, we're going to have him throw some of his fellow superstars in the garbage. Nobody's going to like him after that. 
And then it's like you see it and you're like, oh, wait. A superstar throwing his fellow superstars into garbage is among the coolest things you could see. There's not that much cooler on television. You go, oh, okay, well, I guess I misjudged that one. All right, so he's the man then, I guess. And the answer is yes, he is the man. Braun Strowman doing the coolest stuff on TV. It's so, so it's not even to me like the, the instinct is to say, well, the reason that Braun Strowman is getting cheered so much is because people are booing Roman Reigns. And that's like, okay, I can give you that. I can go with that for a little bit. Let's let's pay attention to that. Let's go with it. And then you're like, no. No, I don't think it would matter who his opponent was. I think, honestly, if Braun Strowman were wrestling Finn Balor now, and it was built the same way, Braun Strowman would still be getting cheered because Braun Strowman is doing the coolest stuff on TV. We want to see somebody be this indestructible. We've been living in a world where we haven't seen anybody be this indestructible. You know, we haven't seen anybody tear people apart like this. We've seen people win some and lose some. We want to see somebody that's indestructible. What if Braun Strowman is this generation's Hulk Hogan? You talk about John Cena being Hulk Hogan, but John Cena isn't Hulk Hogan. He's never give up. John Cena is somebody else. Hulk Hogan was indestructible. He was Hulk Hogan. The irresistible force meaning the immovable object. One of those two was Hulk Hogan. You talk about, you know, Roman Reigns is the next Hulk Hogan. No, Roman Reigns said right on, right on, reset it to me on our YouTube channel. I'm not the next John Cena. I'm not the next anybody. I'm the first Roman Reigns. Okay. Well, what if Braun Strowman is that guy? What if Braun Strowman is that good guy that nobody can defeat? What if he used his powers for good? What if he used that country strength for good? And he wouldn't even need to change up his look. He wouldn't have to. He's good to go the way he is. Fans are going to cheer him. And if the expectation is to make Roman Reigns kind of the face of the company, make him the, the, the guy that is the number one good guy in the company, I don't think you're doing any favors by having him and Braun Strowman in the same ring. Because I honestly, I love Roman Reigns. I'm a Roman Reigns fan. But I don't see how you cheer Roman Reigns. I know logically, I get on paper how you would cheer Roman Reigns. Well, this guy was a bully and he snuck up behind him and he tipped him over in an ambulance. But when you watch it play out, you're like, oh, I hope he does it again. Oh, I hope this time Roman Reigns is in a, is in a Domino's truck and Braun Strowman flips it over. Nothing against Roman Reigns. For me, some of you there is. But for me, nothing against Roman Reigns. But I like to see Braun Strowman flipping over motor vehicles. I don't want to see Braun Strowman lose. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. They don't want to see Braun Strowman lose. We want to see the monster among men. There's all these men. One monster. The monster is among them, but he's not one of them. That's Braun Strowman. So, to me, I I, I, I would have to reverse course. I would have to say, look, we're walking into payback with a scenario where Braun Strowman is not going to get cheered. And what's the last thing The last thing that we left with Braun Strowman before he got tipped over in an ambulance? The last time Braun Strowman, uh, I'm sorry, not Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns. The last time Roman Reigns was in a ring was the Monday after WrestleMania. That was the last time we saw Roman Reigns in a ring on television. The Monday after WrestleMania. And he was practi- he was reveling in all the booze he was getting. 
it was almost like it was expected and deserved. It was this idea that, you know, that, that Roman retired the Undertaker and that's worth booing. You know, and Roman saying, this is my yard, that's that should be not accepted. That's a, That's an egotistical thing to say. Roman claiming ownership over WWE is not is not the most sympathetic thing one can do. So, you know, when somebody goes out there and announces, this is my yard, and then a big dude who lives in the yard is like, no, nah, you can't have it. Then, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see why, why that makes Braun Strowman a bad guy. If I was as big as Braun Strowman and somebody walked into my apartment and they were like, this is my house now, I'd be like, I am throwing you in a dumpster. And if you don't like that, step inside this rider truck and I'm going to flip it over because I'm country strong. I've been loving all of Braun Strowman's stuff. I love every Braun Strowman segment. I love his entrance. I love everything about the guy. But I've liked Braun Strowman for a long time. I like him better now than I ever have. And I think a lot of people do. And I think at Payback he's going to get cheered and it's not the Roman Reigns thing. It's the Braun Strowman thing. Braun Strowman is not getting cheered because of Roman Reigns. Braun Strowman is getting cheered because of Braun Strowman. And I think you've got a good guy on your hands. At some point, you can go back to being a bad guy. But at this moment, he may not be the hero that we wanted, but he's the hero that we deserve. You're looking at somebody who realistically is like, oh, yeah, he's going to crush Roman Reigns. He killed Roman Reigns on TV. And he got the biggest reaction of the whole show. It wasn't even in the arena. It's outside the arena. You got the biggest reaction of the whole show. So I'm interested to see how that thing pans out um, this weekend. I'm really interested to see how, how it pans out at Payback because I feel like you've got guys whose, whose roles have been reversed. And I, I think if we're thinking, you know, if I'm the one making any decisions, I sit there and I say, we need to do a little Bret Hart I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Bret Hart, Steve Austin thing. I think we need to double turn this. I think maybe we give the fans what they want and give them a reason to boo Roman Reigns. He doesn't have to go full-blown heel-heel, but just be Roman Reigns. Be that guy who a lot of the fans pick up on him. Be that guy. Be Have the ego, you know? Be better than people and not apologetic for it. Be the guy who's worth getting booed because right now... I don't see any reason to boo Braun Strowman. He's doing... Oh, and Lila's sitting there going like, I love Braun. Lila likes Braun Strowman because they kind of look alike. We were thinking about buzzing Lila's hair into a mohawk so that she could look more like him because that's her favorite wrestler. It's a lot of people's favorite wrestlers, this Braun Strowman. But we'll see how it pans out at the pay-per-view for sure. It's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, and, And when you talk about like... look. Here's how I see this. I watched that six-man tag, and I thought it was really cool. I thought there were so many implications. Seth Rollins, Samoa Joe, the good Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, the Good Brothers, Big Cass, Finn Balor. Aside from Big Cass, those other five guys have been around the world wrestling for years. You're talking about Tyler Black and Samoa Joe and the Bullet Club and Prince Devitt, and they're all in a WWE ring. But as I'm watching that match and I'm looking at everybody, to me, a lot of the guys 
who have been wrestling around the world, save for Seth Rollins maybe, because Seth is a little younger and maybe not quite as experienced as the rest of them. But I feel like the Samoa Joes, the Carl Andersons, the Luke Gallows, the Finn Balors of the world, these are people, even the AJ Styles fit in that category, these are people who right now are going to add name value. These are going to be your top stars in this moment right now alongside people like Roman Reigns and John Cena when he's there. But as we look to the future, the future is big gas. I'm, I, I think I've said it before, but I can't stress enough. The, to me, I look at Big Cass and I feel like he's everything that they wanted Diesel to be. He's, I, I think he's going to get, his, his promos are going to get better, you know, with experience. And once that happens, he's unstoppable. Because he just, he makes you watch on TV. And, and you know what really did it for me? It was the photo of Finn Balor next to Big Cass. Big Cass looked like a freaking monster next to Finn Balor. And Finn Balor is no slouch. But Big Cass looked like a monster next to him. He moves. He gets cheered. He's popular. He's quick. He's young. You know, he's got a great attitude. Like, I, I think Big Cass is the future of the company. I would put a lot of stock in him. As long as he can maintain, and as long as he still, you know, maintains his love of this thing, of, of, of WWE, yeah, he's going to do really, really, really well, I think. And I think WWE knows that. I think that's why they left him in that match, even though they wanted to maybe take out, you know, the Enzo Cass element. They wanted to make it a more marquee match, but they left Big Cass in there. It's the same reason, and and uh, I, this conversation was coming up a lot when Enzo was injured and Big Cass was having his singles run, if you remember that 30 days that, that Enzo was out. And I think Enzo's amazing. I'm a huge Enzo Mori fan. But I think Big Cass is, is the future of WWE at the moment. Um, in, in terms of characters, another observation I had as I was watching Raw is Apollo Crews. Now... I think that there are a lot of, you know, we were talking about uh, double turn. You know, we were talking about Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns and, and all this. If we could go to the cruiserweights for a second, number one, yes, remove the purple already. I'm so sick of it. But, but, something unique to this week. What I want for TJ Perkins, because I think TJ Perkins is a natural bad guy, and he's going to do well in this role with Neville. But what I want for TJ Perkins to do, right, is he doesn't have to change much. It's just subtleties in the entrance. When he walks out, keep the music, keep the video game set up, keep the stage, keep everything. Everything's fine. When he walks out, he does that thing where he kind of does the little dance and he moves from side to side and he puts his hood up and he dabs, right? And he kicks his feet out as he's walking. People hate the dab. That works for me. As a, as a bad guy, as a bad guy TJ Perkins, what I would love to see is for TJ to slowly walk to the stage, just to walk to the stage, not run, not dance, not be energized, walk to the stage with disdain on his face for the crowd. He gets to the top of that ramp area there and he looks around and just, just got a disdainful look. 
over the audience that's now booing him. And that's when, as he's glaring at the audience, he stretches one arm out, he curves the other one, and then moves his head to the other side, tilts it down, and it's almost like that dab becomes an F.U. Like we eliminate everything else so that it becomes clear that it is now a bad guy dab, that I am dabbing at you, not for you. I am dabbing as if to say, up yours. That, to me, is what I want to see out of TJ Perkins. Just that, that attitude of like, I'm better than you, and that's why I dab. Oh, you don't like it when I dab? Well, enjoy this dab then. Dab, dab, dab. I that's that's where I'd go with him. That's where it's it's those little subtleties I think that make all the difference and and remind us because when he's coming to the ring he's doing the exact same entrance. I go didn't didn't he become a bad guy? Oh yeah, he is teaming with Neville, so I guess he is a bad guy. But I want more of a reminder. I want that thing where he's like I don't care about you guys anymore. The same way Neville. I love when Neville does this. The same way he comes to the ring and he and he does what he used to do and he puts his foot on the second rope as if he's going to get up there and like celebrate with the crowd and then he doesn't jump on the second rope because he doesn't care about the audience anymore. Like that to me is like, oh, it's the same guy, but he's got a shift in attitude. I want to see that shift in attitude in TJ Perkins when he comes out. I also want to see a shift in attitude in Apollo Crews. I think that the, the Titus O'Neil thing is more optimistic optimistic than I've been for Apollo Crews in a long time. Obviously, the superstar shakeup is working for a lot of people. You got Jinder Mahal as the number one contender on the other show, which we will talk about. Um, but I think that, that Apollo Crews needs to fully endorse Titus O'Neil and needs to completely be a bad guy. And Titus O'Neil, I think... Is going to be a great bad guy manager. I just, I love the Titus Brand thing. The Titus Brand thing, because it, it's so relevant to me. Titus Brand feels so 2017 because it's this thing where it's like, what is the Titus Brand? And it doesn't matter because it isn't anything. It's just something Titus started doing. Everybody out there is like, well, this is my brand. It's a, it's a social media brand. It's a this, it's a that, it's a, it's a, it's a, and it's like, it's nothing. You have a Twitter account. This isn't a business. This isn't a company. What is this? I'm just paying you money. Like you, you. There are so many people that under the name brand will charge people money for doing nothing, but they'll use a bunch of super relevant buzzwords that will trick uninformed people into thinking, well, this is something I got to have. This is something I got to do. I'd be stupid not to be a part of this. And that's what I think the Titus brand needs to be cemented as and I and I and I think that that uh, Apollo Cruz needs to come out and say look you fans never got behind me like you said you would this wasn't like it used to be you know you you oh oh I smile too much oh I this too yeah that's what you should say oh I smile too much everywhere I go what are you smiling about well what I'm smiling about is the amount of money that the Titus brand is putting in my pocket. Boo! Boo! And make Apollo Crews like this badass dude. Imagine if you're a guy that's that big, it's that agile, can do backflips in midair, and you're evil, and you're a bad guy? Whoa! Stop the presses. 
this guy's scary now. And he's got a mouthpiece. He's got Titus O'Neil, who's a great mouthpiece. I love Titus, and I've liked all the Titus brand stuff. Titus has, has I think he gets an unfair, he doesn't get treated fairly because he's held his own in there with a lot of people. All the New Day stuff, you know, the New Day were probably the most popular guys on a microphone in the company at the time. I'm sure they will be again once Kofi's injury is up. But I, I think that Titus is going to be able to hang in there with anybody, speaking-wise. So I don't see why he wouldn't be somebody's mouthpiece. I think that that's a good idea. Uh, and I think that, that Apollo Crews could use a mouthpiece, and I think that this is a good way to really do something with that guy, to really do something with Apollo, because until he's a bad guy, he's just kind of smiling Apollo Crews that it's a big dude with big muscles that can do backflips in the air. And I guess that's not enough anymore. It's a shame. I don't have any of that stuff. But even having all that stuff is just not enough anymore. We were talking right before the state of wrestling about the confused state that Raw left us in. You had Bray Wyatt joining The Miz in the tag match. Bray Wyatt, who we last heard, didn't like Finn Balor and was going to take care of him after the House of Horrors match, which we don't know what it is, against Randy Orton. There better be some answers at this payback pay-per-view because there's a lot of confusion. I don't know what a House of Horrors match is. I don't know if Bray Wyatt's problem is with Randy Orton or Finn Balor or Dean Ambrose or The Miz or maybe Jericho. I'm assuming Jericho's problem is with Kevin Owens, but I'd be pretty mad at Miz if I were Jericho. And I don't know what The Miz's deal is if he's not mad at Dean Ambrose anymore because he's going to let Bray Wyatt take care of it. Like, it's very, it's very confusing. And I'm looking forward to Monday because on Monday, I feel like the dust will be settled and the roster's post-superstar shakeup will be cemented, meaning there won't be a Bray Wyatt-Randy Orton match on a Raw pay-per-view because it's a SmackDown match, meaning there won't be matches where it's like, well, technically if Chris Jericho wins the title, he'll go to SmackDown. But over on SmackDown, Kevin Owens and AJ Styles have already started their thing. Also, you know, Bray Wyatt has already started two things over on Raw. But yes, he will have a match with Randy Orton. You know, that's all very confusing to me. Um, so, you know, I thought it was an, an interesting way to end Raw. And I love the potential the only thing I love more than the potential of new stories being told, because that's the good feeling that you get after a Raw like we had on Monday, right, is that there's all these new stories being told, whether it's whether it's Miz and, and Bray Wyatt or it's, you know, whatever it is. We're going in different directions. But the only thing better than the, the potential of a new story being told is that story actually being told. And I'm feeling like some of the stories that we were teased with haven't even happened yet. So to move on to another thing feels a little quick. Um, but still an interesting way to end the show. Uh, to me, the real confusion right now exists on SmackDown. Jinder Mahal was the MVP of this week's episode of SmackDown. Jinder Mahal was the number one guy on SmackDown. His segment was great. The genderheads coming in was perfect. Him taking the title was perfect. And I think him taking the title 
is probably so that there's a, a, a rationale why the Bray Wyatt-Randy Orton House of Horrors match is not a title match because he's not going to have the title at the pay-per-view because Jinder Mahal drove away with it in his limousine. Um, so I thought, I, I, and, you know, everybody's like, oh, could Jinder Mahal be number one contender? Look, whether you like him or not, he had the best segment on SmackDown this week by a mile. The ladies' segment was great at the end. Gender segment was the best segment. That top of the hour Randy Orton gender thing, when Gender came out and did his promo. And Gender's doing the types of promos that we wanted to get. Muhammad Hassan, which is a controversial character to bring up on a WWE in a WWE conversation. But Muhammad Hassan was a brilliant character before it took a turn for the worse. Muhammad Hassan's initial character was I am a man of Middle Eastern descent, and you, I'm, I'm mad at Americans because you're prejudiced against me, because you call me a terrorist, but I'm not one. I'm an American citizen, just like you, and your prejudice has turned me against you. That, to me, is, is, a, is, a, is a, an interesting, smart, true-to-life character. He turned into a cartoon character that was actually just a terrorist, and that's why it ended up going south. But Jinder's thing of like embracing the fact that he speaks Punjabi and calling himself the Maharaja, I love that, and then saying that he feels the prejudice felt against him because it's legitimate in the sense that you hear people saying stuff like that. You hear people saying that they feel discriminated against, and... When somebody accuses you of discrimination, a lot of times it puts you on the defense. You don't want to hear somebody saying, you discriminate against me. Because no, you don't. Boo! It's, uh, to me, it works. And that works. You don't have to take it any further than that. And hopefully, it won't be taken any further than that. Because I love seeing the Maharaja walk out with the championship. I love the idea that the, the, the gender heads are like, yep, people don't like us because we look different. And you know what? We're better than them. You're right, gender. That's what makes us gender heads. I thought it was great. And and I'm really interested in this idea that Breezango is the number one tag team title contenders. I love this thing that SmackDown is like, okay, all right. Raw is taken from us. Dean Ambrose. They took The Miz. They took Alexa Bliss. Okay. What do we have left? Raw took a lot of good talent. Kurt Hawkins, what do we have left? Well, what if, what if what if we make stars? SmackDown's actually going old school with this. They're going, what if we make stars? If we don't have enough talent to fill a pay-per-view show in main event matches that are different, what if we add value to characters? What if we make it so that they're worthy of those spots? And they've got a lot of time before Backlash. They've got a solid month before Backlash. They're already on the on, an, on, a, on a fantastic track with Jinder in the sense that by Backlash, if things keep going the way they're going, we're going to believe that Jinder is a title contender. We're going to believe that Jinder can beat Randy Orton. We're already past the point of Jinder being a squash guy. That's over. We're there. And we will be there by the show and that to me says that I we may also believe that the fashion police Brizango can 
win the tag team championships. And I love that because you're talking about guys that have been floating around the roster for a long time. Jinder had to Jinder left and had to come back, but even after he came back, it was like, oh yeah, it's just Jinder. You know what I mean? He didn't have an entrance when he came back. Nothing. So it's this idea that stars can be built. That if somebody's talented, we can we can we can build them into a star, and that's that's what's going on. And it's really, really great to see on SmackDown. What is not as great on SmackDown is the fact that I watch SmackDown and they've literally promoted three pay-per-views on one show. I'm sitting there going, okay, Randy Orton is my champion. Okay, I got to tune in this Sunday to watch him on Payback. All right, I'll do that. And then in a month, he's going to defend the title against Jinder Mahal at Backlash. Okay, but what about Sun- – yeah, Sunday's payback, Bray Wyatt. And then in a month, it's Jinder Mahal. Well, okay, what if Bray Wyatt kills him? No, that's not going to happen. He's got Jinder Mahal in a month. Okay, oh, there's Rusev. When is Rusev coming back? Payback? No. Backlash? No, 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 no. Money in the bank because technically Jinder Mahal already has the championship match for Backlash. So Rusev is being patient and in April – He's jumping on the scene to say, hey, if I don't get a title match in June, I'm walking. What? Who gives 60-day notice that they want a championship match? I'm going to tell you something. I deserve a title match. And if I don't get it, within two and a half months, I'm out of here. All right, we'll talk to you in a couple months then. Rusev, relax. It's almost like... You know, you, you kind of go, okay, well, I guess Rusev is just not going to be on SmackDown until Money in the Bank. And so now we know the Money in the Bank main event. You're like, why why promote these pay-per-views so far in advance? Like, like what if you say, like, what, what if Rusev says, you know, there, 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 there is a more creative way to get there than just Rusev making a cell phone video and saying, well, I don't want to be on SmackDown unless I get a title match in two months. All right, so you can have a title match. Like, there's, there's got to be more creative ways to do that. Like having Rusev just saying, "I'm not gonna be. No, I'm not doing SmackDown. I'm not wrestling on SmackDown. I won't be there. I don't want to be on SmackDown. I'm not gonna be on SmackDown." And then maybe, maybe he comes out and he jumps people. Maybe he challenges people. Maybe he says, "Fine, I will go to SmackDown, but this is what I want." And he asks for his title match. Something, but not just jumping on and being like. This has nothing to do with the fact that I'm out with an injury right now. But I want a title shot at Money in the Bank. Money in the Bank? We're still uh, talking about backlash has been confusing because we keep talking about payback. You're talking about Money in the Bank? Who invited this guy? You're drunk, Rusev. You know, I I just don't don't know why all the pay-per-views had to be all slammed together on one episode of SmackDown. It seems like a lot. You know, it seems like a lot. I want to do something different here on the show today. I want to uh, I want to uh, make it a little more interactive. If you want to be uh, a part of this show, then go to notsam.com and go to uh, the comment section. And uh, all the every time you write something on the website, it'll go it'll get to me. So if you want to write an email into the show, do it that way. And, uh, uh, and and I will read your email on the air. We'll talk about it, you know, questions and stuff like that. For instance, I got an email from uh, Rich, 
And Rich uh, was talking about being a wrestling fan again. He got back into wrestling because of this podcast. And uh, he talks about Roman Reigns. And he talks about my concept of yaboos. When you hear the Roman Reigns music hit and you hear cheers and then they turn into boos, I was critical of that because I said, you obviously, your instinct is to cheer, but you decide to boo. You're, you're overthinking it because you want to be different. It's like when John Cena returned at the Royal Rumble. Everybody was so excited and so uh, surprised, <laughs> excuse me, so surprised that they all started to cheer. And then they remembered, oh, it's John Cena, we're supposed to boo. So they started booing. And to me, that's not a real boo if you start with a cheer. Um, Rich says, uh, and uh, he says, uh, he talks about the breaking of the fourth wall. He says, uh, with the breaking of the fourth wall, your immersion is constantly broken when the show ends. He says, this leads to the fans having a duality about themselves, uh, having to differentiate between the actor and the character. Okay. When the entrance music hits, like the old sitcom audiences cheering a guest star, we'll cheer the actor appearing rather than reacting to the scene. But the emotion can be trumped by emotions being created in the ring. This gets me to uh, my point with Roman Reigns. When he had his program with Rusev and his music would hit during Rusev's promo, the yaboos would happen. What I see myself in those moments is this. His music hits. I get excited for the opponent of the heel, but then my brain kicks in. I realize it's Roman, and I get bummed. In that last moment, the fourth wall is broken. The wrestler that bores me is out there, not the hero. I was looking for, not the hero I was looking for. I lose immersion and break kayfabe to boo Roman. But how is creative supposed to know we're not, that we're not acting like we think they want us to? In the same vein, when Bret Hart breaks his sternum on a railing, how do we know it's not part of the show? I think that the root of the issue with Roman, the fans, and I think this is the, that is the root. I don't think they fully understand that some, if not a lot of the booing for Roman is legit and not the audience not knowing their lines. Okay, you know, I can buy that. I can buy that a little bit. You know, and I like the point about what we're when we cheer Roman we're cheering the fact that there is a good guy coming out to battle the bad guy. It's almost like if you're, to me, my philosophy is if you're excited enough to be a fan that you just cheer because there's a good guy coming out to fight the bad guy, like if you just are taking on your role as a fan and just doing that, then that's cool. But don't let your brain kick in. It's like, like you know, keep cheering it's wrestling you know it's it's kind of goofy sometimes and and granted it is the performer's duty and it is the the show's duty to not allow us to leave that area but i i i think that there are people that's the kid over there i think that there are people that while they feel that way like there i think that they cheer because they they see Roman Reigns because he's a giant star. It's almost like they cheer because they know they're about to boo Roman Reigns. I think that that's happening more than they cheer because the good guy is coming out. But an interesting point altogether. Uh, J.J. Campbell sent me an email. Um, he says, uh, great interview with Gallows and Anderson. I was thinking how much they must have loved Mania Weekend given that the Rock and Roll Express were there. Oh, they absolutely did. As soon as I saw Ginger win, I laughed and said, well, a writer must listen to Sam's podcast. I really hope they realize what they have in Braun and push him to the moon. Same thing with Baron Corbin. 
I hope, JJ, that you were watching Talking Smack this week because Baron Corbin's beatdown of Sami Zayn was masterful. It was really great. It was really, really cool. Baron Corbin, I mean, it felt legitimate. It felt brutal. It was like, yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was cool. And so, yeah, if you haven't, if you haven't gotten a chance to see uh, Baron Corbin beat up Sami Zayn on Talking Smack, make it a point to check that out. Um, because I, I'm telling Baron Corbin, there's not too many guys that pull off being bad as well as he does. And finally, this one's coming from another guy named Sam. It says, in the state of wrestling, can you talk about when you think we will see Brock again? There's a void without the title on Raw. Uh, this is a question that came up a lot during Brock's first title run and a question that's been posed a lot. Uh, I've read it online with a lot of fans saying there's no title on Raw and it's not even being talked about. And that is going to happen when Brock's the champion. I think that it adds credibility in the sense that when a title, when a universal title match does happen, it becomes even more important than it was. I don't think people will ever forget about the fact that there is a title. That said, I don't think you can wait until SummerSlam before Brock shows up again without it doing damage. You know, I think it's okay to skip a pay-per-view here and there. I don't think you can do it forever, but I think for a little while, with Brock as your champion, you can skip a pay-per-view here and there. You can't skip more than two, for sure. Um, and and you know I, I I do think that that should at least be spoken about. For me, this Roman Reigns Braun Strowman thing is figuring out who's the guy who deserves the shot at Brock, because they're both kind of those guys that are in line. I don't see how if the idea is to keep to hold off and do a Roman-Brock Lesnar match down the road, I don't see how you keep Roman away from Brock Lesnar. He retired The Undertaker. I mean, he's entitled to a title shot right now. Unless you're going to have Braun Strowman beat Roman Reigns, and then Braun Strowman's going to go on to Brock Lesnar. But that's where you don't need Brock Lesnar on TV all the time. If, Braun, if, if you have somebody cemented, look on SmackDown. They're promoting pay-per-views three months in advance. If you have someone cemented to be the next guy who Brock Lesnar takes on, you don't even have to announce what pay-per-view it's going to be at. You can have Braun Strowman out on Raw every single week going, where are you, Brock? Where are you? Brock Lesnar is a coward. Brock Lesnar's not showing up. I'm the number one contender. I'm ready for my match. You know, you can do it. But yeah, I think that uh, I think that the superstar shakeup and the lead up to payback um, has been why it's been distracting enough that there hasn't been a universal champion on Monday Night Raw. But I would agree with you that uh, I think I think as we lead up to whatever the next Raw pay per view is after payback, I think that the conversation has to be about the universal championship. I don't think that that's something you can just take out at SummerSlam. Because uh, SummerSlam's a long way away, you know. You're talking about it. This is it's April. There's you're talking about you know May, June, and July, F- three, f- three and a half. Because SummerSlam's August twentieth, three and a half, almost four months until SummerSlam. You cannot wait three and a half, almost four months, in between title uh, defenses. You can't. I I can't go another three and a half or four months before there's another Brock Lesnar title match. But I don't need it every pay per view. So, 
there is a way to get around it. Again, if you want to be a part of this, go to NotSam.com and use the comment box to send a question in that you want addressed in the state of wrestling. You can do it all week long. You don't need to do it right now. If you watch something on Raw and you want it addressed, let me know. Um, and uh, and don't forget to tweet me what you want uh, Vince Russo and I to talk about whenever the two of us meet again. Once again, thanks to Vince Russo and thanks to all of you for being a part of this. Don't forget to go to notsam.com slash Amazon if you want to shop on Amazon and notsam.com slash merch if you want to get a Sam Roberts t-shirt you're putting my kid through college I'll see you next week here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast Thanks for listening Follow at NotSam on Twitter Instagram, Facebook and YouTube And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.